This week we're going to look at a husband's calling, what God has called him to do. Um, so, but just before we get into that, just want to kind of mention what I did last week for those who weren't here last week. As we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of marriage and family and how God has designed it to work, we can't lose the context of where we came from. And the whole, the whole picture of the book of Ephesians is that because of what God has done in Christ for us, because we are in him, we've, we've been made new creations, and that's what we study in the first three chapters of Ephesians, because of all of that work, then we live differently. We live different than we did before we were Christians. We think differently about the things that we say. We think differently about, about how we relate to people. We think differently about being offended and how that works. And we just think differently about our, every, area of, every area of our life because we've been transformed from the inside out. And so, and that, has, that, that same principle is in play when it comes to marriage and family and our relationships. And so because of who we are, then, then our lives are transformed. And I just want to say this, that applying biblical principles in your life to try to have a be- better marriage if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is what I said last week, is like putting makeup on a dead man. Just trying to fix your marriage by applying biblical principles will not work if you're not a believer in Jesus. The, the, the biggest problem you have is not a bad marriage. The biggest problem you have if you're a non-believer is that you're not in, in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And whenever you get that relationship right, that is whenever all the relationships of your life begin to line up. As, as your heart is changed, then your, your actions begin to change, and, and then your relationships all around you begin to change. And so that, that's the core of what this is all about. So, as, as we begin, as we get back into the text in Ephesians 5, I just want to say this. You know, I know that not every man here is married. And I know that not everyone um, is in a marriage that, that is good. But the but biblical principles stand true and never change. And so, I believe that in a man's life, in his, in his life, that, that, that God has given man a unique ability to lead. And that's what we looked at last week. When, when we looked at the roles of, of husbands and wives, we saw how God had made, has made man a leader. And he, he has made, he's given man a position of leadership and responsibility. And I believe that when a man, not just a husband, but when a, when, when, when a man will surrender his life to the responsibility and the calling that God has given him, that the impact in our society, in, in marriages and in families and, and on our jobs and, and everywhere that a man goes, when a man will surrender his life to Christ and fall under the authority of his creator, the impact is great. And I kind of wrote this, I am convinced that a man who is transformed by the gospel, who understands his responsibilities as a man, as a husband and a father, can have the single greatest impact for good in his realm of influence. When a man awakens to the potential for godly impact that his life has, I believe the enemy sets his sights on distracting that man with all forms of worldly, worldly distractions. And I believe that it's true. You, you, you look at men in our society today, we can be so distracted by so many different things in this life. And, 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 and I believe that that tendency, that tendency to be passive in our relationships, it comes from Genesis. It comes from 
the garden. Whenever Adam and Eve fell and God came to walk in the garden, and he, he came to call to the man who, who he had left in, in charge and responsible. What did Adam say when God said, where, where, where are you, Adam? What did he do? He pointed in two directions to, to pass blame. He said, God, this woman, this woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat. And there's that passivity, that, 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 that desire to kind of pass the buck, to not lead, to push it off on someone else. But when a man can stand up under the authority of God as, as his creator and Jesus as his Lord, I believe that, that that man can have the single greatest impact in the realm of influence that God has given him. I, I believe that. You don't, have to, you don't have to be this great articulate leader. You don't have to have all the charisma and, and, and have all, all, all the power and the strength. But if you will be a godly man that submits to, to, to godly authority and submits to the lordship of Christ, God can use you to have great impact in every realm of influence that he has given you. Amen? And we're going to specifically talk about the realm of influence in marriage. And some of you men may say, well, I didn't really sign up to be a leader. I really don't want to be a leader. I didn't sign up to be a leader. Well, I just want you to know you don't sign up to be a leader. You got drafted. You got drafted. You got chosen because you're breathing today. It's true. You got drafted and chosen because you're alive. And God has uniquely gifted every man to lead, to be a godly man, to not be passive but to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for truth, to be a pillar of truth. You know, God's word says about itself that God's word that, 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 that is placed within the church, when God's word is, is in the church and is a foundation of the church, that the church is designed to be a pillar and a buttress of truth. And I believe the same is true for men. That when men will have the foundation of God's word in their life, that they can be a pillar and a foundation of truth. In our society. And boy do we need it. We need it today. We need men of God in our country today. And in our world today. So let's go, let's go to the text. I talked to the women last week. Now guys it's your turn. So that would make it happy wife Sunday. Last Sunday was happy husband Sunday. Because at the end of the message. The wives spoke sweet words of affirmation to their husbands. And it was beautiful. And this week as we end the message. You, you guys you can't leave. We're going to lock the doors. When you, when you get, you know, I have, I have three points, so when you get to my third point, you can't be starting to sneak out. I've already instructed all the ushers right there. You're being instructed right now. Lock them in. <laughs> Not really. I'm just joking. They may have to use the restroom conveniently at that time. But, men, you're going to talk this morning. Husbands, you're going to talk this morning to your wives with sweet words of commitment. Amen? It's going to be beautiful. But before we do, let's go to the text, Ephesians 5. 25 through 33, and as we said last week, or I should say 25 through 30, uh, last week we said that the husbands get more verses of encouragement from the Lord because we need more encouragement because uh, we're hard-headed here. So let's look at the text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh. But what does he do? He nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So there's, there's the command. There's, there's, there's the call. This is a husband's calling in marriage. And it is a high calling. It is a high calling. As we break down this love that we're to demonstrate to our wives in marriage, I just want you to know it is a very high calling. It is a very high standard that the Lord is setting for us as husbands. Because what he's doing is, is he's saying that, that, that we have to love the way that he loves. So I, I have written down kind of three Three ways, ways that, that three ways that we demonstrate our love. Three types of love that we demonstrate as husbands to our wives that, that we see in this text. And the first one is this: it is a sacrificial love, a sacrificial love. That's what Paul says here. He says, "Husbands," he says, "love your wives." How? How are you to love your wives? As Christ loved the church. Who is the church here? All of the redeemed. You can't be a part of the church unless you're a part of the redeemed. So if you're a believer here today, you are part of the church. And, and all the Christians throughout all of the world, we would all be part of the universal church. And so Christ demonstrated his love for the church. How? He, he laid down his life for the church. He gave himself up for her. He went to the cross. He died on the cross, took our place so that we can have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so Paul is saying, husbands... In that same way, the way that Jesus demonstrated love for his church, I want you to love your wife. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. The love that Christ demonstrated, however, is completely opposite of a worldly definition of love. You know, when you think about the way the world defines love, when when people, couples come together and they're in a relationship, maybe they're headed towards marriage or they're just dating you know, we don't ever really go into it thinking this, but, but if we're not careful, we can adopt the worldly view of love. And the worldly view of love is this, is that, that, that I will love you because of something that you bring to the table. I will love you because of something that, that, that you have to offer me. I will love you as long as you love me. And so it's this reciprocal love. It's this, it's this love of I, I, I have a love for you that is conditional. My commitment to you is conditioned upon you staying committed to me and loving me. But you know what's interesting is that this love that Jesus demonstrated, as Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, his love that he had for the church was not conditional. It was not based upon us having to merit that. Isn't isn't that powerful? The fact that the salvation that we have is not based upon our merit. God didn't look down and say, okay, I'm going to look at a creation I'm going to look at my creation. I'm going to wait until they are deserving of my love. I'm going to wait. And you know what? He would still be waiting. He would still be waiting for that moment that we would prove ourselves that he's worthy to send his son to take our place. But what do we know is true? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? For the For the righteous? For those who have it all together, for those who prove themselves worthy of his dying? No, he died at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly, for the unloving, for, for the unlovable, for the unloving, for, for, for those who don't deserve it. We, don't, we didn't deserve for him to die for us. For one, 
will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, this is so powerful, but God demonstrates, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, scripture tells us, while we were still sinners, alien from a relationship with God, it is then that God said, I'm going to demonstrate my love to them. Because it is there That type of love that I demonstrate to an ungodly sinner, it is that demonstration of love that is a pure definition of love. Whenever you set your love on someone who doesn't deserve it, someone who can't earn it, it's that type of love that proves that God loves us. And husbands, that's the love that he is saying, God is saying that you have to love your wife with. It's a sacrificial love as Christ loved his church. A Christ-centered love, listen to this, a Christ-centered love has as its goal to will the good of the one loved above your own good. A Christ-centered love has as its goal to will, to desire, to make happen, to will the good. It's a love of action. You know, it's not a love of passivity. Christ's love for us was not one of passivity. It was a one, it, 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 it was a love of action. He moved. He demonstrated it. So this Christ-centered love is a love of the will. To will the good of the one loved above your own needs, above your own good. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. Do you remember, do you remember the story, and I've quoted this a, a few times in the last few weeks, um, but do you remember the story when Jesus, he's, he's, he's in the upper room and he's having a discussion with two of his disciples and their mother. James and John come with their mother and, 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 and they're coming to Jesus to try to get themselves a position of power in Jesus' earthly ministry. And so they had this idea of what, it, of what it means to be a godly man, to be somebody who leads. And so... So they come and they, they come to Jesus and the mother comes and says, 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 says Lord, can, can you make sure that in your kingdom that my son here and this son here has a place in your kingdom to sit on your right hand and on your left? And, and this is what Jesus says. And when the ten heard it, of course, the other ten of the disciples, they were mad. They were indignant at the two brothers because they were mad because they didn't get to Jesus first, probably. But Jesus called them to him, all of them, and said, You know that rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. How do they, how do they lead? How do rulers of the Gentiles lead? Those that are called to lead, they lord over those that are called to lead. And their great ones exercise authority over them. What did Jesus say about what it means to be a godly leader? It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the self-sacrificing love. This is what Jesus modeled, and this is what he told his disciples. He said, men, there were 12 men who were the, the, the original disciples, and he's telling them, if you want to be great, man, if, men, if you want to be great, this is how you're great. Not how the world does it, where, they, where men try to exert their authority and their power because of their position. That's not godly leadership as a man. He said, if you're going to be great, you're going to be a servant of all. And Jesus, as a man, he was fully God and fully man. As a man, 
He could have used his godly prerogatives to do whatever he wanted to do. He could have made everyone obey him because he was God. But when he came, what did he do? He humbled himself in the form of a servant. And he said, I didn't come to be served, though I could make you serve me. I came to serve. I came to serve. I just want to say this. Strong male leadership has nothing to do with a man's ability to be authoritative. Strong male leadership has everything to do with how a man uses his authority. This love that you're communicating is not domineering. And it doesn't fight for authority. If you have to fight and force someone to submit to your authority, you've lost your influence. If you have to fight and force someone to submit to your authority as a man, you've lost your influence. Because why? Because you've lost their heart. And husbands, that's what we're after. We're not after, as I told your wives last week, you are, you are, not, you are not their king. You are not the king of your house. This submission, this biblical submission is an elevated role that the woman has in marriage. You are co-equal with your wife in the grace of life in marriage. You are equal in your value and, and your ability and what God has called you to do, husband and wife. And so this authority that you bring in the home is an authority of position. God has made you. What, and, and, and what is your position? It's a position of responsibility. It's a position of accountability that God says you're accountable for the direction of your home. And so any leadership that you're to bring, it's not, it's not going to be the, the leadership of it's my way or the highway. The kids are watching a movie last night and the guy kept saying, he's saying, he's saying it's, it's my way and there is no highway. And men, that's not, that's not how you lead. It's not your way or the highway, it's God's way. And you need to get out of the way, Right? You need to lead as a servant. That's how Jesus demonstrated it. You know that, that, that argument that the disciples were having with, with Jesus about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom and the two disciples come and try to use their mom to, to weasel their way into position. That same conversation, same upper room, Jesus then demonstrates for them, models for them what servant leadership looks like. John 13, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel, a servant's apron. He tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Because that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, wait a minute, you're the master. You're the Lord. Someone in charge, someone who's given responsibility and authority, they don't wash people's feet. We're, we're supposed to wash your feet. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So then Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Dump the whole basin on top of me is what Peter said there. If I have no part in your kingdom. Peter didn't get it yet. But what was Jesus demonstrating? The creator of the universe demonstrated what it means to be a godly man. He demonstrated servant leadership. He took off his outer garment. He put on a servant's apron and he got on his knees and washed the dirt and the grime off the feet of these disciples who were about to scatter when he was arrested and crucified. Who, he, he washed the feet of Simon Peter, who, 
who, who was going to, de- to deny him three times. He demonstrated servant leadership for us men. He is our model. And so when Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, we have to look at that model. And I would say a summary of, of Christ's leadership can be summarized in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, men, husbands, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to hold on to, But what did he do? He let go of his prerogatives as God. He emptied himself. He let go of those prerogatives and he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Men, husbands, this is our calling. This is our calling. It's a calling to die. It's a call. Marriage is a call to die. To die to our own way. To die to our own desires. To die to my right to be right. Husbands, when you sign up to be married, you are signing up for your death. Like, Wait a minute. Hopefully you married a wife that won't literally kill you. But you sign up for your death. Marriage is a death to self. Marriage is like two porcupines trying to get close. That's what it's like. Somebody's got to die. And, and husbands, may it be us first. Because we're called to lead in that way. We're called to serve without them earning our service. Put on the servant's apron. I, every wedding that I do. I tell the same thing to husbands. You're called to be a servant leader. And what does that look like practically? Who's, who's, who's been in one of my weddings? What, what are you called to do? Wash dishes. Do the dishes. They know, do the dishes. Put on the servant's apron. Do the dishes. And I want you to know, I practice what I preach. You come to my house any day of the week, you might see me doing dishes. Because I, I do the dishes. I serve. And that's our calling. Not just to do dishes. But what, what is that demonstrating in your marriage? That there's nothing beneath you. That, that you lead by service. It's a death to yourself. Unless, yes, I know you work all day. And you're tired. But your wife is too. Because she's been probably working all day. Or she's not working all day outside the home. She's working all day in, inside of the home. And so when you get home, she needs a break too. So you come in with the mindset that, honey, what do you need? How can I help? How can I serve? Yes, it's easier to put on the golf channel. It is. The other day I got home and I walked into the kitchen and the kitchen was still a wreck. I mean, that's because we have four kids and we didn't get to do it in the morning, but it had been a couple of days building. And I, and I walked in and, and I noticed that the rest of the house was nice. Clothes were clean. Bathrooms were clean. And I knew there was a golf tournament on. I wanted to watch, so I put it on. I sat down. My wife was folding clothes. I folded a few clothes, and I, I keep thinking in the back of my mind, I've got to get up. I've got to get up. I've got to go wash the dishes. 
So I slowly meandered my way into the kitchen and I cleaned the whole kitchen. And later Estelle said, oh, thank you, sweetheart, so much for cleaning the kitchen. Right? But it would have been, yes, yes, thank you. Amen. Amen. It would have been much easier just to sit there and continue to watch golf because that's what I wanted to do. But I died to myself. Mar- marriage is a call to die. And I want to say this to all you single men out there. If you're not ready to die in marriage, don't get married yet. I told you, I told you last week, if you're single, get married. If you're single but you're still selfish and you can't let go of your selfishness, don't get married yet. It will be a train wreck. Hear me. If two, you are already naturally selfish. That's what two porcupines trying to get close looks like. You're already both naturally selfish and you need to grow in your Christ likeness. But if you're not ready yet to die to yourself on a daily basis and you think you have this utopian idea of what marriage is going to be like, man, it's going to be the bedroom all, all the time. You need, don't get married yet. It's not your time. Die some more. Got to die to your own way, your own desires, to die to my own right, to die to my own needs, to put the needs of my spouse above my own. And as men, we're called to lead our wives with this type of love and commitment. It is a sacrificial love because Christ is our model. Amen? Amen. The next type of love that, that the Lord demonstrates for us or, or, or that we are seeing in Ephesians as, as this type of love that we have to love our, our, our wives with, it's, it's secondly, it's a purifying love. A sacrificial love and then secondly a purifying love. Let's look at the text. Ephesians 5, 26 through 27. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I just had to say when I was studying this this week and any time I've studied this section, I, I, I stop and I think, Wow. Unbelievable. Do you guys, men, husbands. And here's another thing I would say here too. You single men, if you're not ready to take this responsibility, you don't need to be married yet either. Because this is the most sobering of the responsibilities right here. Think of what he is saying here. He's saying that in the same way that Christ sanctifies us as believers. Let's read it again. That he may sanctify her. Christ sanctifies us. He cleanses us. He washes us with the water of the word. And then he will present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And we will be holy and without blemish. Christ does that for us as believers. And the Lord is paralleling that work that he has for us as his church with the work that we have as husbands with our wives. That is profound. That we are taking upon ourselves when we marry husbands the responsibility to take upon our shoulders the responsibility of helping our wives grow spiritually so that they would be holy without blemish or spot or wrinkle. When a man gets married, he's, he is taking not only the responsibility to die to himself and lead as a servant, but he is also taking the responsibility to lead his wife towards Christ-likeness. As, as I said earlier, consider the powerful language that's used in these two verses. Just as Christ sanctifies, cleanses, and washes us from impurity, just as he makes us holy and without blemish, a husband is called to give his life to that same end. 
Husbands, you're called to give your life for your wife to that same end that your wife might be holy and sanctified and pure before the Lord. To lead her spiritually. Wow, what, what, what a calling. In MacArthur's commentary on Ephesians, he says this, When a husband's love for his wife is like Christ's love for his church, he will continually seek to help purify her from any sort of defilement. He will seek to protect her from the world's contamination and protect her holiness, virtue, and purity in every way. He will never induce her to do that which is wrong or unwise or expose her to that which is less than good. That's your calling, husbands. To guard the spiritual condition and the spiritual condition of your wife and your family. That's what God has called you to do. To protect, not to lead your family into sin. You're called to be the protector of your family's spiritual life and primarily of your wife. You, you both set the tone of the spiritual atmosphere in your family. And husbands, you're called to set that tone. To protect. Think about the protection from the world that our wives need and our children need. They need us as godly men and godly fathers to rise up and to put our foot down and to say that we will be the guardians of our home. We will be the guardians of what we allow into the home to influence our wife and our family. It is, it is a purifying love. So men, how can you guard the purity of your wife and your home? How can you lead her towards Christ-likeness? Here's what I would tell you. First thing is this. Pursue the Lord with all your heart. How are you going to lead your wife spiritually? You must be following the Lord yourself. You cannot lead your wife into Christ's likeness unless you are first pursuing Christ's likeness. Pursue the Lord with all of your heart. Maybe men, husbands, you're here today and you, and you know you've not been doing that. And, and you think, how can I be a spiritual leader to my wife whenever I can't even lead myself? I would tell you, make a decision today that you're going to leave today and you're going to make a decision to follow the Lord with all of your heart. Because you recognize that the Lord's put you in a position of leadership. As I said earlier, men, you don't sign up to be a leader. You're drafted because you're breathing today. And so you have, if you're going to be the leader God's called you to be in every area, specifically as a husband, you've got to make a decision that you're going to pursue the Lord with all of your heart. Pursue Him with all of your heart. And then secondly, seek godly relationship with brothers in Christ who can hold you accountable. This would be a great way, this would be a great opportunity to, to champion D groups here, men. Get involved in a discipleship group with, 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 with brothers in Christ that can hold you accountable, that can help you dig into God's word and hold you accountable to the truth that you know and the truth that you will learn. That if you will do this, if you will seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will bring brothers in, in Christ alongside of you to hold you accountable to your leadership in your life. This, these are the first steps in how you can lead your wife spiritually. You know what she's longing for, men? She's longing to see that. If you're, if, you're, if you're waffling, if you're going back and forth in that area in your life, this is one of her greatest desires, is to see you take initiative spiritually for your own spiritual life. Thirdly, what are you called to do? What does it look like to guard the purity of your wife and lead her towards Christ-likeness? Thirdly, protect the spiritual climate of your home. It's your job, men. It's not your wife's job. It's your job. And what does that look like? That means, that means guard what you watch on TV. It means guard what you listen to through music. Guard the friendships that you allow into your family with your wife and your kids and your own life. Protect the spiritual environment of your home. 
I, I, I am appalled. I, I, I was walking, I was watching that game with that blown call that happened last week. That I, I'm so glad that 870 has finally quit talking about. They're still talking a little bit about it, like it's time to get over it and move on. But during that game, my wife and I are watching the, the, the game. And they had this advertisement for this, for this show coming on Fox. And I just could not believe the advertisement. It was like 15 seconds of an advertisement. But they were celebrating sexual promiscuity. They were celebra- like, like, like just like over the top. I don't even want to tell you the name because I don't even want to talk about it in detail. So you would even look up the show. But my wife and I looked at each other and we just were so just disgusted. And so you have to take upon yourself the initiative, men, to guard the purity of your home by guarding what comes in, but then encouraging what is good, what is true, what is godly. Philippians says that whatever is true and lovely and noble and and of good report, whatever is good and godly, think on these things. Put worship music on throughout your house. Put on shows that lift up godly values. Encourage, set the spiritual climate of your home. That's your job, men. And then fourthly, what does it look like to lead your wife towards Christ-likeness? Fourthly, pray with and for your wife. Pray with and for your wife, men. So what does this look like? This doesn't mean you've got to have some eloquent long prayer, thus saith the Lord, and these and thous, and all these all this flowery language. I just mean just grab her hand. Just grab her hand and pray with her and pray for her. As often as you can, pray with your wife and pray for her. That is leading her towards Christ's likeness. And then lastly, you're doing this last challenge. Prioritize worshiping together as a family on Sunday mornings. Bring your family to church. You set the tone. You say, we're going to get up. We're going to go. We're going to go to church. We're going to gather together as a family of God and worship the Lord. And I commend you as husbands for being here today, prioritizing that responsibility that you have. So men, this is your call. It's not only a sacrificial love, but it is a purifying love. That you have been given the responsibility from the Lord of the church to take his daughter, his daughter, and to lead her spiritually. And so that one day when you stand before the Lord, you can say, Lord, I I did what you called me to do. And I present my wife to you. You, you used me in this process of sanctification in my wife's life. And I led her spiritually. And I protected her life and her purity. Amen? So here's the third type of love. It's, it's a sacrificial love. It's a purifying love. And then lastly, it is a love that nourishes and cherishes. It's a love that nourishes and cherishes. Let's go back to the text. Ephesians 5, 28 through 30. It says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but he does what he nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church so so what's the picture here this third type of love is described in two words it's a love that nourishes and a love that cherishes and so the idea is is that men we're going to take care of ourselves right no one ever hated his own flesh but what do we do men we put food in our mouth we shower, we take care of ourselves, we buy ourselves clothes, we, we make sure that we have what we need. Why? Because, because that's a natural desire that we have, self-preservation. We want to take care of our own flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. And so there's two meanings to, there's two ideas here with nourishing and cherishing. And this idea with nourishing is practical. It literally means to feed. 
It means to feed. So, so what's Paul saying here? Husbands, that if you love your wife, you're going to ensure that she is taken care of physically. You're going to ensure that she's taken care of, of physically. She's provided for. Just like you provide food for a child and your family, we naturally care for our own physical needs by feeding ourselves. But in the same way, we take care of the physical needs of our wife and our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, and, that, and the context of 1 Timothy 5.8 is the context of widows. And that whenever, whenever a woman becomes a widow, that her family should take care of her. But the principle would be the same here for us as husbands. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Men, that job that you're on, that, that you like most of the time, some of the time, that job that you're on, you're fulfilling God's command to nourish your wife. I know, I, I know it's not always easy on the job that you're at. I know it's not always easy whenever you're doing something that maybe you don't feel passionate about, but I want to help you to regain passion with the work that you have. You are obeying the Lord and fulfilling your command from the Lord to nourish your wife, to provide for her, to take care of her. Every day that you punch that clock, every day that you swing that hammer, every day that you do the job, you you type on the keyboard, you do the work that you think is meaningless, and why am I here? What am I doing? That job that you're doing is holy for the Lord. That job that you work on, men, is it's a holy job. Why is that? Because you're taking care of his daughter. You're taking care of his kids. The Lord entrusted them to you. And you're taking care of them by working on that job. So, so look at your job completely different. It's not just a way to pay the bills. It's not just something i got to drudge through day in and day out. It's the highest privilege that you can have as a man. is to love your wife by providing security for her, for her daily provisions. It's called nourishing your wife. Our provision for our wife and family is sacred work. The job you have, maybe even the job you hate, is used by God to provide for your wife and family. So let's look at this next word. That's what it means. It's it's, it's a nourishing love, but it's also a cherishing love. And that word cherish means to treat with tenderness and affection. To treat with tenderness and affection. Men, We're called to love our wives with gentleness and tenderness in the same way that we would carefully love our own bodies or our own possessions. Did you ever had something that is a valuable possession of yours and you treat it with care because you want to make sure nothing happens to it, right? That's the same way in which we're called to love our wife. There's a tenderness. There's a gentleness. I just want to say this and, 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 and if you're here this morning and, and you struggle in, in this area, I just want to challenge you, men. There's never a reason to speak harshly to your wife. There's never a reason to verbally, to verbally abuse your wife, to talk down to her, to call her names, to curse at her. You know, what you have in your hands that the Lord has given you, that precious possession that you have, God's holding you accountable for how you treat it. And he says that you're to love her with a love that is nourishing and is cherishing. It's a tender love. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says this. This is the context of 
sexual intimacy within marriage. And it says this, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What does that mean? It means we don't belong to ourselves in marriage. It means we belong to each other. I am the possession of my wife. And she is my possession. And, and the evil, sinful thing that happens with that idea, with that truth, is that we become domineering and we become controlling and we try to make our spouse do what we want them to do for us. But the godly thing that takes place is what we're talking about. It's the cherishing. It's that this is the possession that the Lord has given to me to be tender, to be careful, to be loving, to guard, to protect, to, to, to cherish her like she is the most valuable thing that I have ever been given in this life. And so maybe some of you are wondering here what these plates are here for. So what if I were to tell you that these plates came from my great, great grandmother? What if I told you that from my great, great grandmother who gave it to my great grandmother, who was a stowaway from Italy, who came to this country, ended up in Bayou Lafourche in Golden Meadow, and she got these dishes from her, from her mother. So then my great-grandmother, what if I told you that, 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 that she, my great-grandmother, gave these to my grandmother, Anna Abair, who lives in Golden Meadow, in the house that belonged to my great-grandmother. And then my, my grandmother, what if I told you, my grandmother gave it to my mom, who then gave it to me, these dishes right here. How do you think I'd treat these dishes? Right? It's dishes that are, I mean, I, if that scenario was true, it's dishes that would be probably 150 years old or more. So it would be extremely valuable and precious. Right? I wouldn't want anything to happen. And, that I, and if I ever gave them to, to somebody to take care of, if I ever gave them to somebody and said, here, I'm going to give them to you and I want you to take care of them. What would I be asking them to do? I want you to cherish this as much as I cherish this. And you know what, man? That's what God does when he gives you your wife. So, so, so Matt, let's demonstrate. Yeah, Matt Carnes. I'm going to give you this. Now, Matt, I want you to be careful. These are valuable I'm entrusting, I'm entrusting these to you. Are you ready for the responsibility? I can handle it. Are you sure you can handle it? You really be careful. These are uh, 100-plus-year-old dishes. And I want you to be careful. Get them all the way back to your seat. Straight line. Straight line. Okay. Got it? All right. Now, Matt, be very careful. Very careful. All right. Matt. It's all still there? All right, y'all can just leave it down there. We'll, we'll clean it up after. You see, you see, that story I told you was absolutely not true. Didn't come from my great-great-grandmother, or my great-grandmother, or my grandmother to my mom and then to me. But you see what happened right there? I entrusted Matt Carnes with something that hypothetically was very precious to me. 
And we staged it all before. I said, Matt, you got to figure out how you're going to drop that and not send shards into somebody's eye. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to fall down. But, uh, but men, that's what the Lord does when he gives you your wife. He says, look, this is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. And I am asking you to take care of her. Don't drop her. Don't break her into pieces. Care for her. Nourish her. Cherish her. Take care of her. Lead her as a servant. Lead her with a a, a purifying love, with a nourishing and a cherishing love. That is your responsibility and calling as husbands. You guys up for that calling? Amen. So here's what we're going to do to end this service. We're going to do what we did last week. So if I could get the husbands and wives to stand up and get my wife to come up here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to We're going to communicate to our wives a commitment, a commitment to love her in these ways, sacrificial, purifying, and a nourishing and a cherishing love. So I want you to hold the hand of your your wife, and I want you to repeat after me. Look her in the eye. Repeat after me. You are the most precious gift that I have the privilege of loving. By God's grace and power, I will love you as Christ loves his church. I choose to love you and seek your well-being above my own. I will lay down my life for you every day. I will put on my servant's towel and serve your needs above my own interest. My prayer is that the Lord would help me to lead you and our family spiritually. I will protect your purity and holiness. I will be the guardian of our home, carefully making sure that our family is not exposed to what corrupts. I know that I have not led you in all the ways I'm called to. but I am committed to continuing to grow in Christ-like leadership and love. I love you more than anything in this life. I love you more than my dear, Lise. Say it, brothers. I love you more than my boat, more than football and LSU, I I love you more than my golf clubs and the Masters Golf Tournament. There is nothing this world offers that I would choose above you. You truly are a treasure worth cherishing. And I commit to giving the rest of my life to, to that end. Now, husbands, kiss your wife. Amen. Amen. Won't you stay standing with me? Let's pray. Let's pray for our marriages. Amen. Lord, I I just thank you for the truth of your word that we see in the book of Ephesians. What great, powerful truths, Lord, that we desire to line up under as, as wives and husbands. Lord, we want 
to as wives, Lord, we want to respect and honor the position that our husband has been given in, in, our, in, in, in our family. Lord, we want to submit and encourage and empower and affirm all that our husbands are called to do. And as husbands, Lord, our desire is to follow your leadership, to love sacrificially, to, to encourage the spiritual growth in our wife and our family, and to nourish and to cherish the precious gift that we have received from you. Lord, may that, may that be true in our lives and in our marriages. And, and may those here this morning that have lost this, have lost this perspective, and they're in the weeds this morning, they can't see the precious gift that their spouse is because they are lost in the weeds. They can't see. Things are challenging. Lord, I pray that you would help them to make these good decisions, to obey your word above what their flesh wants to do, to choose the best for their spouse. And as they obey you, you will bring healing into their marriage. That is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I love you guys. I'll see you next week.